likely know her and love her for her starring roles in The Parent Trap and Mean Girls. But Lindsay Lohan's life away from the big screen, it was more troublesome than you can probably imagine. Welcome to Scandal from Shameless Podcast, the stories of the biggest celebrity controversies revisited. Well, hello, Michelle Andrews. Hello, Zara McDonald. We have a big three-parter on the horizon today. A big nostalgic one as well because there's something about Lindsay Lohan that just, I don't know, it gets me. I feel emotional. I feel very tied to this story and very tied to this woman. Yeah, I think it has to be the movies that she starred in, right? Between Mm. The Parent Trap and Mean Girls, they had to be two of the most defining films of our youth. You had The Parent Trap when we were young and then by the time we could kind of crack jokes or understand (laughs) jokes we had mean girls I think we first discussed doing this series last year when we spoke about Lindsay getting married on Shameless Mm. and I think between that and her dropping her Netflix movie in November last year it felt very much like Lindsay was back and I don't want to sort of overstate the level to which she was back I mean she was the biggest star of our generation and I don't think she's the biggest star of our generation today Mm. but it certainly seemed like she was coming back and that she had good work and she was married and things just looked up. Yeah, and I think that's a really lovely thing for us to witness because truthfully when you track maybe the demise or the downfall of anyone in the celebrity space, quite often you don't see them then get back up. You don't see them rebuild their career or rebuild their life in the public eye. Maybe they do that away from the public eye, we don't know. But to witness that and to see that with Lindsay has been really lovely and I think that's why we really wanted to chart her story and kind of trace back through the biggest moments of her life. I think as well you guys will learn of this but during our research it really stood out to us how difficult Lindsay's upbringing was. Like her father's influence on her life has been a very complicated one and he has brought a lot of heartache and stress and that for me has been fascinating to look at. Yeah, hugely. And I think it's one of those things where you look at it and you think, oh, of course somebody is going to be quite troubled Mm. when they go through things like this. I mean, she was also a woman the media was absolutely fascinated with. At first they were obsessed with her. They loved her and then they loved to watch her fall. And as we said from the top here, we wanted to tell this story because it feels very much like at least from an outsider's perspective, it has a pretty happy ending. Mm. She had a pretty public fall but also she's had a pretty steady rise since. I think one thing that I want to get on the record, and I think you want to get on the record before we even jump into this, is there is a lot to Lindsay Lohan's life. We spent weeks and weeks of our time in this and we're pretty blown away about how much there was to cover. And with that in mind, I think it goes without saying, we're not going to be able to cover every single tiny detail of her life, but we've done our best to really kind of take a broad look at what's happened in the last Mm. couple of decades and cover the stuff that's really, really important. So Mish, with that in mind, shall we rewind? Yeah, we shall. One thing, another thing actually that we want to get on the record before we begin as well, the pronunciation of Lindsay's surname has kind of changed over the years. We've found multiple examples of people using Lohan, multiple examples of people using Lowen. I kind of interchange across this series. Whatever you pronounce it as, it seems like Lindsay's pronounced it both ways over the years. So just embrace both pronunciations. All right, Zara. Lindsay Lohan was born in Long Island, New York in July 1986. She is the oldest sibling to her brothers Michael Jr. and Cody and her sister Eliana. Yeah. Now, Lindsay Lohan's mum, Dina, is a former Rockette and the Rockettes for the uninitiated 
are like a really famous American dance company. Her father, Michael, was a Wall Street trader who developed and then sold like a multi-million dollar pasta business <laughs> started by her grandfather. They married in their early 20s. Yeah, Lindsay got her start in the industry like so many of the child stars we've covered on Shameless incredibly, incredibly young. She signed on to Ford Models when she was just three years old. She spoke about her entrance into modelling years later in an interview with Rolling Stone. She said, the Ford modelling agency had all blondes with blue eyes at the time I was a redhead with freckles but I never cried or complained like a lot of the other kids. Now it was actually around this time when Lindsay was just a toddler that her parents marriage ended at least for the first time. When Lindsay actually recounted this time of her life to Vanity Fair's contributing editor Eugenia Peretz she wrote this. When Lohan describes her childhood, the pictures that emerge is of a family trying to hold on to the trappings of the middle class or being held hostage to a dishonest, unpredictable and violent father. The terror didn't take long to kick in. Mm, it's actually thanks to that profile piece in Vanity Fair that we know so much about Lindsay's childhood. One story that Lindsay told that journalist was of a day when her parents were in court and she, and I quote, got kidnapped out of the courtroom by her father, Michael. Her father Michael's behaviour went beyond being just turbulent or erratic. It became completely chaotic and deeply painful and made for a really difficult home life. Lindsay told Vanity Fair, it got to the point where my father would not come home for a few days. He would come home three days later and be very angry and we'd be walking on eggshells and it would be a very tense, scary household. Now, the Vanity Fair piece detailed how Michael Lohan would, and I quote, blow his fucking money away, disappear on drug binges and find himself on the wrong side of the law. The first time he was put in prison was for criminal contempt of a securities case. Now, what followed was a long list of convictions, most resulting in further jail time. We had assault, violations of a protection order, DUIs. Lindsay's quote in this piece continued... I remember I was coming home from an audition and that was when it was bad. My father was away. He had been in and out of jail my whole life, my whole life. Somehow throughout this period, Lindsay's parents did rekindle the romantic side of their relationship. To be really transparent with the listeners, it's a very on-again, off-again marriage or romantic relationship in the early years of Lindsay's life. In fact, throughout so much of her upbringing, they're together, they're not together. So once Michael's alleged violence escalated, the marriage then fell apart again and Michael's access to his children was heavily restricted. Now, we are deviating away from the timeline slightly here, but we think it's important to properly illustrate how deeply affected Lindsay's childhood was by her father Michael's actions. We're going to read a little more of that Vanity Fair piece and what Evgenia Peretz wrote in that profile of Lindsay. It reads like this. Strange as it was to have a father in jail, the prospect of his being on the loose was downright frightening. For a time, Dina and the kids went to live with her parents because the family was too afraid to stay at their own house, which was just around the corner from Michael's crash pad, his parents' house. But four years ago, when things got too cramped and the drive to school became a hassle, the family decided to brave it and move back into their home. They pulled up in the driveway and what happened next was, as Lindsay puts it, really fucked up. The piece went on. Followed by Ali and Cody, Dina took some things inside. She proceeded upstairs and went to use the bathroom. Ali and Cody, already cautious at their tender ages, were right behind her. Suddenly, according to Lindsay, out of the shower jumped Michael. Dina and the kids ran screaming out of the bathroom and tore down the stairs. 
He came running out of the house, says Lindsay. And I got in the car and Ali and Cody ran into the car and we all floored it out and drove back to my grandparents' house and wouldn't go back into the house and got rid of the house. Really bizarre to think that their own father, I don't know, would would try to unsettle them that way by like hiding in the, the house, shower. ready to jump out at them. Yeah, it's, it's pretty eerie isn't it yeah it's very difficult to wrap your head around what he was thinking or what he was trying to do in that moment yeah now while things at home had been pretty awful Lindsay was doing extremely well as a child model and actress through this time as a kid she starred in more than 60 tv commercials for the likes of pizza hut and wendy's she also modeled for the likes of calvin klein kids in 1997 when Lindsay was 10 she was cast in a film called the parent trap which was a remake of the 1961 film of the same name. Nancy Myers was making this film and she already had a bunch of hits to her name, including Father of the Bride. So we can't really overstate how much this was a gong or a success very early on in Lindsay's life. Yeah. Now, according to a biography written by Lauren Brown, 1,500 young actresses submitted audition tapes for the dual roles of Hallie and Annie. Now, a quick side note that I thought was just cute (laughs) in the telling of this story. Nancy Myers named the two characters in this film after her own daughters. I didn't know that. Nor did I until I was researching. Now, Nancy Myers also said she was looking for, and I quote, a little Diane Keaton for the role, which sounds pretty random but then when you think of Lindsay Lohan I'm like well I guess you kind of nailed it yeah that's so weird I can kind of see that I can see it yeah but I don't know how you'd kind of search (laughs) for it now reportedly Scarlett Johansson and Mara Wilson auditioned for the roles and Michelle Trachtenberg known in my world as playing Georgina from Gossip Girl oh my god yes was also considered The actress Jenna Malone, who since had roles in films like Pride and Prejudice and The Hunger Games, actually said that she turned down the role like three times. (laughs) I I don't know if I believe people that say that. Also, I just – no disrespect to the lovely Jenna Malone. I'm sure you're a lovely person. But that quote, I turned down the role like three times. I don't find it a flex for you (laughs) to repeatedly turn down a role that would have been amazing for your career. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, regardless, according to E! News, Nancy Myers said she knew there was something pretty special about Lindsay from the moment she saw her tape. She said, I saw Lindsay on a tape from New York and I said, there is something electric about this girl. Speaking to Rolling Stone years later of her time filming, Lindsay said, I was 10 when I did The Parent Trap. I left school for eight months and when I came back, my friends were like, where'd you go? I said, my family and I went on a long vacation. Then the movie came out and they were like, um, Lindsay, that's you in the parent trap. And I said, oh yeah, I also did this movie while we were gone. (laughs) Now, Nancy Myers also said that Lindsay was fun on set. She said she would come into my trailer and she and my daughter would play really loud music and dance like crazy, which I think gives you insight into how young Mm. she was. The Parent Trap was released in theatres across the US on July 29, 1998 and was a box office hit. It grossed $92.1 million against a $15 million budget. It's a bonanza, that film. It is a bonanza. Is that a good way to describe it? It's a bonanza. I mean, typically in the past we've referred to these kinds of things as smash hits, but it, if we're changing smash hit for bonanza, I, I don't love it, but I'll go along for the ride. I can be a walking thesaurus. We can have multiple <laughs> words that mean the same thing. It did well. It did very, very well. Super well. Now, around this time, it's probably helpful to note, Lindsay's dad, Michael, was sent to federal prison for stock fraud where he served a four-year-long sentence. So... 
we have incredible career success matched with incredible personal life trauma for Lindsay. As far as kids or young adult movies are concerned, The Parent Trap was a total success and Lindsay's role in it was absolutely applauded by critics. She had the dream scenario where the movie's making great money and the critics think it's a sensation. Yeah, well, think that you're a sensation at the very least. Here's what the New York Times wrote in 1998. The twins, Hallie and Annie, are both played with take charge gusto by red-haired Lindsay Lohan. Miss Lohan, a Ford model at three and then a very busy 10-year-old on Another World, plays a dual role with apparent effortlessness and with so much forcefulness that she seems to have been taking shy, violent lessons from Sharon Stone. That reference has gone a little bit over my head. Yeah, but I'm sure there's at least one one person listening to this oh, that gets Oh, yes. It. So many people. So that one's for you, whoever you might be. <laughs> now, the piece went on. Trading off English and American accents and flouncing through about as many costume changes as they were in Evita, Miss Lohan easily makes it credible that the two girls could switch places and hornswoggle their credulous parents. Hornswoggle? I know you just used Bonanza before, but hornswoggle is a word that I will happily have on this podcast. Raw. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. I love that. Now, if people don't know what hornswoggle means, there is also <laughs> a professional wrestler by the name of hornswoggle, but it means get the better of someone by cheating or deception. That's a great word. Hornswoggle. Now, after the parent trap, Lindsay's mum, Dina, opted against moving the family to Hollywood. Instead, they stayed on Long Island so that the kids could keep going to school. And for two years after the move, Lindsay really was practically your normal teenager. She played soccer, she did cheerleading, and she went to school every day like most kids do. Yeah, it was only when some of her acting friends kept scoring roles and really excelling in the field that Lindsay decided to throw herself back into the industry. Her mum, Dina, told Vanity Fair... She would see some of her friends surpassing her and she's like, I have to do this. So by 11th grade, she was being homeschooled. Yeah, and once she moved to homeschooling and really focused on her acting, the work started pouring in. Actually, after completely winning over audiences in The Parent Trap, Disney signed Lindsay onto a three-movie deal. Of course, she could still do her school for a couple of years, but then she'd have to start working on the films. So in the year 2000, she starred in the film Life Size, that movie where, do you remember this, Tyra? Banks is a real life Barbie doll and Lindsay Lohan is like a kid. (laughs) I'm going to say I loved the movie, but I also haven't seen it in 20 years. Uh, So do not hold me hostage if it's terrible. I watched part of it for the research. And how was it? It's trash. Yeah. And I, again love Lindsay but this film when you watch it as an adult you're like wow it's not the best I had really strong feelings about it when it came out though which was (laughs) that I loved it I like loved the concept I mean it says probably a lot doesn't it now from there Lindsay also starred in Get a Clue and Freaky Friday the latter of which pulled in a colossal 160 million dollars at theaters rounding out her contractual obligations to the Walt Disney Company within the space of a few years am I I mean maybe I'm alone here are you surprised that Freaky Friday made almost double the amount at the box office that Parent Trap did? Like, I'm shocked by that. I would have thought The Parent Trap is a bigger film and has, I guess, a more lasting legacy than Freaky Friday does. I guess I'm not surprised because I do think the enduring power of The Parent Trap is in its like slow, steady, long legacy. Sleeper hit vibes. Freaky Friday, I remember being absolutely massive. Mm. I remember going to the movies with all my friends to watch it. Yeah, same. And I don't remember that with The Parent Trap or anything like that. I might have been a tiny bit young. (laughs) But still, I remember Freaky Friday being massive. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Lindsay's appearance in the film actually earned her an award called Golden Popcorn, which (laughs) 
I've never heard of that. Apparently, it's for the breakthrough performance of the year. She won that at the 2004 MTV Movie Awards. She also hosted that awards show, making her the youngest person ever to do so. Yeah, now it wasn't as though every single thing she touched turned into gold, though, or or golden popcorn. The same year that (laughs) Freaky Friday was deemed a runaway success by critics. Lindsay starred in The Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, a performance that Variety's critic referred to as strained. I also loved that movie. I loved that movie so much. She, that's like one of the standout films I think of when I think of Lindsay. I just forgot she was in all these films. She was smashing it out and working so, so much. Zara, after the break, we're going to talk about perhaps her biggest movie to date, Mean Girls. But first, let's hear a word from today's sponsor. Now, Miss, you could say that Lindsay didn't really pay the negative reviews much mind, mostly because she didn't really have time to. In 2003, another massive script landed on her desk. She was 17 and the film was called Mean Girls and it was written by Tina Fey. Now, Lindsay Lohan actually first read for Regina George, but the casting team felt she was closer to what they were looking for in the actress who would play Katie. Now, also to add to this, which I find really interesting, the production team were kind Kind of insistent that Lindsay just wouldn't work as the mean girl. Her audience loved her way too much and they worried that her audience wouldn't be receptive to Lindsay being in that character. I agree with that. I agree with that too. Because I did feel so attached to Lindsay. I don't think it would have been not receptive. I would have just been confused and be like, but this is not the Lindsay that I know if she was playing Regina. I think the casting was surely a key part of its success. Yeah. Lindsay later said, Mark Waters, the director, was insistent that I play Katie. And so was Tina Fey. They were like, no, 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 you're the lovable one. You have to play Katie. Tina Fey, who we know was hugely influential in the movie and television industries, said she was blown away by Lindsay's skill on set. She said she never paraphrased a sentence once. She has this really quick to memorize spongy mind that you cannot have when you're 17. Between takes, she would be talking to me and Amy Poehler, who had a role in the movie. At the time, it was, I've got to find these baby blue Ugg boots online. And then they would say they're ready to shoot and she would just turn and be fully present and really good in the scene. Then Mark Waters would call cut and she'd be like, anyway, I saw this thing. I love that quote so much. I can imagine a 17-year-old with that amount of talent who can just switch between roles, between being who they are and being this incredible actress at the same time. I agree. Now, the film was released in 2004 and it grossed $130 million worldwide. Lindsay Lohan earned several accolades, including three Teen Choice Awards and three MT Movie and TV Awards. In 2021, her performance as Katie Heron was listed as the 11th best performance of the 21st century by the New York. That's incredible. 11th best performance of the century. Yes. And the New Yorker, if you want anyone to say that you did a good job, it's the New Yorker. Yeah. (laughs) I am just imagining people like sitting around a table throwing shit at a wall being like, yeah, Lindsay about here. But it was an amazing performance. Like it's, I, I cannot think of a more quotable movie for our demographic. It became a total cult classic. Like, if there's one movie you would walk up to and ask anyone our age if they'd seen it, you'd go up and say Mean Girls, right? Yeah, 100%. And I also do appreciate when films targeting young women make it onto lists like this and make it in a really good spot. Like, 11th is great. For so long, I feel like films like Mean Girls would have been tossed aside as just, like, silly girls' business. 
but I love that they've actually acknowledged that as an incredible performance because I think about Mean Girls and how often do people quote Mean Girls today? Yeah, still today. Now at this point in time, a freshly 18-year-old Lindsay was still being managed by her mum, Dina, but they were actually living separately. Lindsay was living by herself in LA and her mum was managing her remotely from Long Island. When her mother was away, her assistant would take care of her. Now as promo for Mean Girls, Lindsay did the press circuit like they all do and that included an interview with journalist Mark Benelli for Rolling Stone. Now uh, this resulting interview is one of the more bizarre and yuck profiles we've read in a long time hey yeah that's an understatement perhaps here's the opening sentence for anyone who's curious Lindsay lohan has been 18 for just under a week when she tells me her breasts are real i did not ask gentlemen never do though my reporting discreet visual fact checking a goodbye hug seems to confirm her statement that's the opening line that's the opening line now as an aside if that breasts comment strikes you as completely out of left field we are right there with you it is really ick and weird to read an older man writing about an 18 year old's breasts and hugging her and verifying whether or not they're real rolling stone wasn't actually alone in that commentary when we saw that we were like what the hell But it turns out that publications like W Magazine and People Magazine also speculated the realness of Lindsay Lohan's breasts when she was just 17. And there was always this subtle inference in the reporting that perhaps Lindsay's keen stage mother, I would put it, Dina, had maybe organised a breast augmentation for her teenage daughter. And this rumour that Lindsay got a breast augmentation when she was just a teen ran really deep. It even extended to her sister, Ali. When Ali was just 14, the Sydney Morning Herald here in Australia was reporting the rumour that Dina got Ali breast implants as well. Now, whether this is a tale of the media being disgusting or an out-of-control stage mum completely overstepping or both things at once is up to you. But it was a, I think it would be remiss of us to not include that because this was a massive narrative in the noughties. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Regardless of Rolling Stone not flying solo with the narrative about Lindsay's breasts, the profile is, as we mentioned, pretty fucked. Here's another passage so you can glean the tone. In more recent years, Fallen Mouseketeers, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera recognised that music videos involving school uniforms and or nude body stockings would exponentially increase fatherly, big brotherly and creepy uncle tolerance for music that's pretty much unlistenable if you're not a 13-year-old. Girl. Mark Benelli went on to say Lohan managed to look striking without coming off as an empty vessel. He also described her as, and I quote, a favourite object of scrutiny for the paparazzi and the online pervert community alike, and added, if Lohan wears a low-cut dress and makes a mistake of, say, bending over slightly to step out of a vehicle, enlarged photographs of her cleavage will be analysed as meticulously as the Zapruder film. I, yeah, no words. Then there was also this exchange between Benelli and Lohan. The question was, what do you think about the way that girls in pop culture today, like Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera and now you, have to make this shift from child star to sex symbol? Her response was, you mean growing up in public? It's weird, but it's something that has to happen. Mark Minnelli responded, not just growing up, becoming a sex object. To which Lindsay said, I don't think of myself as a sex symbol. It's weird that people call me that. I mean, it's so much to consider that a young person just turning 18 has to deal with, especially when you read a line in the profile piece that reveals five cars full of paparazzi are stalking her and taking photos of her wherever she goes. 
Now, this all bled into a growing sense of paranoia that Lindsay had about her celebrity status. She told Mark Benelli, I get a little concerned sometimes about the things that are written about me. Sometimes there are personal things about me in the papers. I start thinking which one of my friends is talking shit about me. People in this business build you up and build you up. Then they try to take you down. They'll write what they want. Mm. As with so many of the child stars who came before her, Lindsay was also trying her hand at becoming a pop star. It's not abundantly clear who wanted this for Lindsay, whether Lindsay wanted to branch out into music herself or whether the adults in the room who were profiting from her success wanted that for her. All we know for sure is that by August 2004, Lindsay's foray into pop superstardom was absolutely underway and it was making plenty of headlines. Yeah, now it turns out that Lindsay was signed to Casa Blanca Records, the label owned by Tommy Mottola. Now, Loyal Scandal listeners, if there are some of you out there, <laughs> will recognise that name from our JLo Scandal episode. Matola famously nurtured the early careers of both his ex-wife Mariah Carey and Jennifer Lopez. Regardless, in August 2004, it was common knowledge that Lindsay was hard at work on her debut album and that her breakout single, I Decide, was featuring on the soundtrack for The Princess Diaries 2. I just love everything about this. I love that The Princess Diaries has copped a mention. I just love this era full stop. Another interesting feature of the Rolling Stone profile is its discussion of Lindsay as the, and I quote, bad girl. Now, that is literally how Mark Benelli described her. He said, what really makes Lohan bad is the fact that she goes out to nightclubs in Manhattan and Los Angeles and occasionally dances on tables. All this has helped her new adult image, but could hurt her old Disney remake princess image, which has her handlers worried. When I suggest to Lohan's publicist that we go out and see a band together, the publicist snaps, she's 18. I don't want any more stories of her out in clubs. On the nightclub stuff, Lindsay did her best in this profile to quash speculation that she was growing up too fast. She told Rolling Stone that she doesn't drink alcohol and has friendships with owners of local clubs and that she would be let in to drink only red bull. (laughs) Then she gave the real clincher. She said, I don't do drugs. I never have and I never will. I do not need to do that stuff to have fun. Now, in the profile, the writer notes that Lindsay was planning her 18th birthday party at the time and he stole a glance at the invite list and noted the names of Nikki Hilton and Tara Reid. Ready to party with her. Yeah. The profile also pointed out the other ways in which Lindsay's life was perhaps mature beyond her years. Here's what Mark Benelli wrote. Lohan recently went public with the news that she's dating that 70s show star Wilma Valderrama. Coincidentally, the pair became less secretive about their relationship after Lohan's 18th birthday. Valderrama is 24. Lindsay told Mark Benelli, we've become really, really good friends. I love him to death. He's a great guy. He's been there for me with all this family shit going on. We'll see what happens. If this matures into a serious relationship, he'll be my first real boyfriend. But I don't know. I'm only 18. I want to have fun. Now, some of you might recognize the name Wilma Valderrama. Uh, not just because he, of course, was an actor in his own right at this time. He's also the ex that Demi Lovato has had some very interesting things to say about, particularly when it came to the age gap in their relationship and different experiences she had with him. Yeah, and it's not just her as well. Do you remember that story where Wilma Valderrama 
went on Howard Stern and said that he took Mandy Moore's virginity. Mm. And then she came out later and was like, that never happened. And I don't know why he said that. Yeah. He has a really interesting stories there. Yeah. Very checkered history I would say with dating some pretty high profile women definitely look into we might do a series on Demi Lovato one day but maybe have a look as well if you're interested in the quote she's given she was only 17 at the time that she dated Wilma and it's it's a very interesting read to read about their dynamic yeah but back to Lindsay for a moment Lindsay was like this wild child as we know with a pension for clubbing who of course only had Red Bull when she went out (laughs) and who had the teenage market in a total chokehold and her big form of competition in this industry, just so happened to be her arch nemesis and fellow Disney star, Hilary Duff. Yeah. Now, if you'll excuse us, everyone, I'm sure you're all on the ride with us when it comes to this anyway, because the Hilary Duff feud is just so interesting to me. We're going to take a slight deviation away from the timeline again for a second to talk to you about what is perhaps the most nostalgic mini scandal when it comes to Lindsay Lohan, and that is her well-established feud with Hilary Duff. I had forgotten about this. Had, okay. I Had you? I remember this. I was captivated by this story, which oh. might be a bit fucked up because, yes, it's partially pitting women against no, women. No, but they pit themselves against each other too. They vocally, they as you learn, lent in. Everyone will learn they absolutely lent into this. Now, to give you some context on this feud, it's quite teenagery, which is the best kind of stuff. (laughs) Tina Fey actually once told Entertainment Weekly, there was one day on set on Mean Girls when she tried to explain to Amy Poehler and me her beef with Hilary Duff, but we couldn't crack it. We were pretending we could follow it. (laughs) With that in mind, the feud between Hilary Duff and Lindsay Lohan dates back to the early 2000s. According to BuzzFeed, in 2000, Hilary Duff met the late Aaron Carter on the set of Lizzie McGuire and the two started dating. Yeah, Aaron once said of their relationship... I was dating her for like a year and a half. Then I just got a little bored. So I went and I started getting to know Lindsay, dating Lindsay. Then from there, it sounds like this kind of love triangle got a little messier, Zara. He said, and then I didn't want to do that anymore. So I got back with Hillary. And then I ended up cheating on Hillary with her best friend. Now, I think it's probably important to note for context. These three are all obviously in the public eye. They're super, super young. And that's why this drama seems so immature now. According to E! News, Hillary Duff retaliated by showing up possibly uninvited to the <laughs> premiere of Freaky Friday starring Lohan in April 2003. Lindsay Lohan then did the same thing at Hillary Duff's Cheaper by the Dozen party that followed that December. Now... To be fair, I think showing up at someone's movie premiere, even uninvited, is like not the most sexy or intuitive form of revenge. No, because say that's what you think is going to like throw the person off on their big movie it's premiere. It's like just giving it more publicity. You're generating so many headlines for their upcoming film that they want to perform well. Like by trying to sabotage your ultimate competitor, you're kind of playing into exactly what their publicist team would want. But do you think their publicists are working together on this? Maybe. But then it's so immature. Like so yeah. much of this. I'm Number one, I'm also shocked that Aaron Carter even gave that quote to be like, anyway, I ended up cheating on Hillary yeah, Duff with her best friend. Like it's just, it's weird. The whole thing is weird. Lindsay then hosted Saturday Night Live and that put everything into overdrive. Yeah, because during her monologue, comedian Rachel Dratch appeared as like this unflattering caricature of Duff according to Access Hollywood. Now, Hillary was not impressed with Lindsay's SNL stunt. She told Access Hollywood this. I'm not here to talk bad about her like she talks bad about me all the time. Mm, That SNL skit reportedly prompted Hillary to 
ban Lindsay from the premiere of A Cinderella Story. (laughs) Now, according to reports, she also told Blender Magazine, sometimes I really hate Lindsay Lohan. Now, to add to this, according to MTV, at the Jingle Ball in 2004, Lohan's then eight-year-old brother Cody asked Joel Madden for an autograph. When Hilary Duff told him the boy was actually Lindsay's little brother, Joel Madden then asked to speak to Lindsay's mum and said that if Cody really wanted an autograph, then Lindsay better apologise to Hillary. <laughs> now, as a, a separate quick aside as well, Joel Madden was dating Hillary Duff when she was 16 and he was 24. I'm sure we'll do a, a scandal on that one day too. <sighs> Maybe Joel and Wilma can end up in yeah. the one episode together. Who knows? Eventually, the feud between Lindsay and Hillary died off. By 2007, People Magazine reported that the two were not only cool with each other, but actually friends. Hillary Duff told them we're both adults and whatever happened happened when we were young. It's over. A ceasefire. We love it. It's over. All right. Back to the timeline. Because according to Vanity Fair's Evgenia Peretz, the success of Mean Girls saw Lindsay's life deviate further and further from her high school friends. Now, while Lindsay's schoolmates were heading to college and living with other kids their age, Lindsay herself was increasingly enmeshed in a world where the stakes were high and the people you could trust were virtually non-existent, right? Yeah, I mean, she gave that quote earlier saying, which of my friends is going to rat me out to the tabloids next? It was at this point in her life that Lindsay actually moved to go live in the Four Seasons Hotel alone. In the wake of everyone talking about the success of Mean Girls, the media really turned its attention to the less sparkly aspects of Lindsay's life, specifically her dad. Soon, there were reports about how Michael Lohan had assaulted a sanitation worker, beaten his brother-in-law with a shoe at a family member's first communion and how he apparently neglected to pay a $3,800 bill at a strip club. Perhaps what was even worse than all of this was the fact that Michael was also speaking to the tabloids like page six about his teenage daughter, despite them not having any form of a relationship anymore. Lindsay and Michael were estranged and yet he was using her for his own publicity. Yeah, now it didn't end there. As reported by the New York Times, Michael Senior's desire for a slice of his daughter's spotlight ran really deep. In 2005, he publicly offered to drop a lawsuit against ex-wife Dina, where he was demanding half of Lindsay's management fees in exchange for Lindsay joining him on a reality show about their lives. Mm. It's so fucked. Now, in a press conference held in a Long Island law office, and yes, he did hold a press conference for this kind of stuff, Michael also described both Lindsay and her mother Dina as emotionally unsound and demanded that they submit to drug and alcohol testing. A day later, Lindsay's lawyer sent a seven-page season desist to news outlets across the country warning them against publishing any aspects of Michael Senior's story. Now, speaking to W Magazine about the ordeal, Lindsay said, I think I should have a press conference. He didn't do anything for my career except go out and not come home at night and make me and my mum stay up and wonder where he was and then show up three days later. So I don't think he deserves anything. He doesn't even deserve my respect. Yeah, she went on and said, I didn't even know about the press conference, actually. I have enough to deal with. Oh, but I did hear that my dad was suing me for alimony. And I'm like, I was never married to you. So what's it for? Abandonment? We've covered some pretty egregious things from the parents of celebrities in Scandal. I think Michael Lohan has to take the cake for like the worst parent we've covered on this podcast. Yeah, if not the worst, certainly up there. Like it, it is egregious. I can't, I can't overstate how stressful this must have been and how awful it must have been, not only to be dealing with this at 18 or 19, but also to be doing it in the public eye mm. when everybody's looking at you. 
Now, by the time Lindsay Lohan was 19 years old, she had appeared in six feature films. And in 2005, she was frantically working on three more films that she had set for release the following year. Then, of course, she had her music career ticking away in the background too. And if you're anything like us, you're probably wondering, how the hell is someone so young (laughs) coping with such an insane lifestyle Mm. I think the answer is well she wasn't always very well yeah she wasn't always coping in an interview with Vanity Fair Lindsay tells a pretty concerning story about her health and what she described as a cry for help during this period of just completely intense work she told Vanity Fair my liver was swollen and I had a kidney infection and my white blood cells were accelerated I don't know what that means but it's not good I wasn't eating. I was on an IV. They were giving me shots of morphine to numb the head pain every two hours. I was really, really white and I got really, really pale and my hair was really short. And I was like this. The piece describes, she says, shriveling up like a famine victim. And I hadn't got out of the bed. My legs were so numb from not walking. I had a walker to walk to the bathroom and back. My body didn't have enough strength to take a shower. She went on, I didn't want to complain, but that was my way to complain, to actually let everyone know, yeah, I'm actually really sick. I can't imagine seeing your daughter lying in a hospital bed, white as a ghost, like so tiny and frail looking. I definitely think we need a moment here to consider the fact that she said that from the perspective of her mother. Mm. I think it says a lot because then Vanity Fair writer Evgenia Peretz wrote this. So how did Dina feel? Lindsay has had bronchial asthma since she was two, Dina says, exasperated, a tad defensive. She was shooting Herbie in the valley in 110 degree weather with a full racing suit on in dust and in dirt. She had an asthma attack. She was breaking up with Wilma. Her father was spiraling out of control at that time. And she was recording her album, which Tommy Mottola was trying to get out in an unrealistic time frame as well. It was a culmination of a lot of things. And of course, anytime you're in hospital and you're on an IV, you're going to lose weight. It's super interesting to me that that was the quote that Dina gave, but also that Evgenia Peretz positioned that tone from Dina as, and I quote, exasperated a tad defensive. Like, okay, even if all that stuff that Dina is saying is true, like, okay, she had an incredible workload. She does have asthma. She was going through a breakup. That's kind of proving the point that Lindsay was incredibly overworked at an incredibly young age and for Dina to not maybe have enough perspective or self-awareness when she gave that quote to go you know what we really loaded her plate up and she really needed a break was weird to me for me it's like there's not an ounce of anything maternal here there's no like it's like love to be like she's really struggling and I'm I really want to take care of her it's it's strangely flippant to say and of course anytime you're in a hospital and on an IV you're gonna lose weight you've got yeah like of course. Like, like it's it's, it's not it's the end of the world. Clini- it's a quite a clinical look at it all. It's completely unemotional. Yeah, it's very, very odd. Now, only within months, the media would learn the truth about Lindsay's weight and why she was looking so small. In fact, with an interview with W Magazine, Lindsay would paint a pretty clear picture of just how deeply child stardom had wreaked havoc on her psyche. Yeah, it should have served as a warning sign to the media that this was a young girl and she needed time and space to grow up free from scrutiny. Unfortunately, though, this was the mid-noughties and if the tabloid media loved to feast on anything in the mid-noughties, it was on the privacy of famous young women. Soon, Zara Lindsay Lohan's career was in total freefall. 
all of that, though, on next week's episode of Scandal. We still have so much to cover, Mish. But in the meantime, you guys know where to find us. We are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast and on TikTok at Shameless underscore podcast. This series was researched by you and me together. And we'll be back on Thursday, as always, for another wrap in the week that was in pop culture before being back on Monday for part two. Woohoo! Thanks, guys. We'll see you then. Bye. Shameless Media. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi guys, Shameless Media's video producer Charlotte here. I'm abruptly popping up at the end of this episode to tell you about a new series I've been working on called The Tastemakers. It lives on the Shameless Book Club feed and the series explores the inspiration and motivation of Australia's most trusted tastemakers. Hosted by the wonderful Gemma Diamond and spanning across six episodes, we'll hear about everything from beauty to lifestyle and food. One of my favourite episodes to film was with Maggie Zhao. She's such a bookworm and she offered up some really interesting in-depth insights that I really loved. It's so good to see Gemma and Maggie sit down and talk about books and they just had such a fantastic chemistry on the day that when we were shooting, I just knew that this was a good episode. Oh my God. So do you know how we talk about social media and it's like, yeah, like an overnight success, like this person, you know, overnight literally gained a million followers, right? So think of that and now think of the opposite of that. (laughs) And that is me. Tastemakers is made for anybody who is looking for a slice of inspiration from influential women who are ready to offer up their expertise. Search for The Shameless Book Club in your favourite podcast app now, have a listen and make sure to click follow so you don't miss your next favourite episode.